we're going to take some time to celebrate communion. So if you haven't grabbed your communion cups from the back, you may do so. And go ahead and peel, peel off that top layer. Today being Father's Day caused me to take a look at communion from the Father's point of view. Because God so loved the world that he gave his son. And when Jesus came to this earth, he referred to the God of heaven and earth as Abba, Daddy. That was radical back then. That was blasphemy. That was crazy talk. Because you didn't refer to this God, this name that you couldn't mention, as Father. And I love when the disciples came up to Jesus and said, hey, can you teach us to pray like John's disciple, like John does with his disciples? And Jesus starts the prayer with, our Father. And then he goes on to say, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Yes, we have this God that's our Father, but we also have to recognize his holiness. And that's a, just a beautiful tension that is just radical. And I like in, in John's letter when he says how great the love of the Father is and how he's lavished it on us that we should be called God's children. So as Jesus went to that cross, he went as a son in obedience to a father that was sacrificing his own son. So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks to his father and said, take this and eat. This is my body that was broken for you. And after supper, Jesus passed the cup and said, this represents the blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sin. Take and remember me when you drink. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of your son on that cross that we have a relationship with you. We are your children. You are our Abba, our Father, our Daddy. Father, that is great love, more love than we could ever understand. We just want to take some time this morning, though, to thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Hey, good morning, church. We are glad that you are worshiping here with us in person, online. Hey, crew, glad to have you guys here. Uh, as we get started, man, let's just take a second today, if you would, uh, let us know you're here. There's a couple ways you can do that for us. You got the North Point app. I see some of you guys going from your phones right now. Way to go. I love you guys. Check that out right there on the virtual connect card. If you don't have that North Point app, you can simply text the word guest 
to 833-CHAT-NCC. We'll send a text message your way. It only takes about a minute to fill that out and is incredibly helpful to us if you guys take a second and do that. Uh, if you don't have that North Point app yet, you can text the word APP to 833-CHAT-NCC and we'll send you a link for uh, Apple and Android where you can download that, follow along. Uh, you can follow on Spotify, the worship songs that we do, hang with Rick this morning as he talks. And you can also check out the announcement section there to see everything that's happening here at North Point. Some of the stuff that we've got going on, including uh, block parties, which we just started this past week, hosted a great one uh, right down here in DeWitt. Uh, so if you're interested in loving your neighbors in an incredibly creative way, man, we encourage you guys, we are looking for block party hosts this summer. So uh, let us know, check that out right there on the North Point app. Another thing we'd ask you guys to do this morning, that's to worship through your giving. And you can do that a couple ways, right there on that app, or by texting the word GIVE to 833-CHAT-NCC. We'll send a link your way. We'd encourage you, man, give worshipfully, give sacrificially, knowing uh, that Jesus is the one who truly does provide for all of our needs. And then last but certainly not least, we just want to wish all the dads out there a happy Father's Day today. I think Mother's Day was getting bigger round of applause, just for the record there, but that's okay. That's okay, all right? Hey, guys, dads, you are awesome. All the hard work you put in, the wisdom you share, and yes, even your sense of humor. Do you like jokes about German sausages? Sure. They're the worst. How do you get a country girl's attention? Attract her. What did the sushi say to the bumblebee? Wasabi. Wasabi. What do you call a naughty lamb dressed up for Halloween? Bad to the bone. <laughs> What did the husband say to his wife right after getting LASIK surgery? Hey. Aren't you a sight for sore eyes? Nice. What do you call a belt with a watch on it? I don't know. A waste of time. <laughs> Why are spiders so smart? They spend a lot of time on the web. He's been a dad forever. <laughs> he knows all of these. <laughs> what did the janitor say when he jumped out of the closet? Supplies. <laughs> How do you weigh a millennial? In Instagrams. <laughs> Why did Neil Armstrong get suspended from school? He was astronauty. <laughs> Why did the invisible man turn down the job offer? He couldn't see himself doing it. He's invisible. <laughs> what do you call an airplane that flies backwards? A receding airline. <laughs> <laughs> What do you call Santa when he's frozen? Santa pause. <laughs> I heard that your home doesn't have any numbers on it. You should address that. 
I, I don't know if you've realized it yet or not, Mark, but spring is here. Mm. I got so excited, I wet my plants. Since we recorded that, I thought, how do I transition into the message? I have no idea. I have no idea. I, I will say that there was somebody at first service that was taking notes, uh, <laughs> writing down all the jokes. It's going to be posted online so you can watch it. Hey, if you're watching from home, happy Father's Day. We're glad you're here. Uh, trust that God is going to speak to you. Everybody doing well? Good, 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 good. Hey, I'm loving this series, diving into, diving into the Sermon on the Mount. Well, uh, we've called the series Crazy Talk because what Jesus says over and over and over again is just crazy. It's like, what? Where'd that come from, right? Uh, so the first week, Jake talked about the Beatitudes, and he, he, uh, he talked about the fact that when we love Jesus, there is this observational truth that's there that's real. When, when, when we're sold out to God completely, no matter what our condition is, God's gonna meet us there and he's gonna bless us in a really, really cool way. If we're mourning, if we're hungry uh, for righteousness, if we're, um, if we're persecuted, God's gonna meet us wherever we are and he's gonna bless us in that process. Last week, we talked about when that's true, when that observational truth is true, is true, that we're pursuing God more than anything else, it's gonna show up in our lives and our lives are gonna be different than a dark and decaying world around us. We're gonna be salt and we're gonna be light in a dark place. And if you remember, if you were here last week, if you weren't here last week, be sure and go back and watch it. Um, the key verse was really verse 20 in Matthew chapter five. It says this, unless, Jesus said, unless your righteousness is greater than that of the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And the people in the audience had to go, what? That's crazy. That's crazy talk. Because the Pharisees were the standard by which righteousness was measured. And Jesus said, you've got to be more than that because the righteousness that matters is the righteousness of your heart. In the passage that we're gonna look at today, we're gonna to go through the, through the next uh, nine, 10 verses somewhere in there. The thing that, we'll, that you'll find, that you'll see, is that, um, that, the, that living out that out, that righteousness that's greater than that of the Pharisees is gonna show up in some really crazy kind of ways. So if you've got your Bibles, take them out, turn to Matthew chapter five. We're gonna start in verse 21. Uh, and... Listen to what Jesus said. You've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. The listen, pause just for a second. The listeners knew that what Jesus said was true. They knew the 10 commandments that had been given down for Moses. This is the sixth of the 10 commands. Don't commit murder. Um, God said through Moses, if you murder, um, there's gonna be consequences for that. There's gonna be a punishment that comes for taking somebody else's life. Jesus said, you know that, but I tell you this, even if you're angry with someone, you're going to be subject to judgment. There's gonna be judgment if you murder, judgment if you get angry. The people listening to Jesus had to say to each other, what? So someone say, give me some more, please. 
oh, it's not there yet. But then whoever they were with would have said, you know what? That's what he said. That's what he said. What? That's what, that's what he said. That's crazy talk. If you get angry, you're going to be judged. There's going to be the same kind of judgment as if you commit murder. That word judgment is kind of interesting in, in the original language. It's the word that's, that, 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 that's um, used to describe when something goes to a local small claims court, that kind of judgment. But it also is the word that describes what happens when we stand before God and are judged. So how do you make sense of that? What's, what's he talking about? Well, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to say, if you get angry, you're going to be taken to small claims court, right? That wouldn't make any sense. So the judgment, the, the concept of judgment is that we're going we're gonna to be accountable to God for what goes on in our hearts and the anger that we have. Um, Jesus is talking about a righteousness that's greater than that of the Pharisees. It's better than the Pharisees. It's better than obeying the letter of the law. Um, and so he says, you know what? Don't get angry. Anger in and, uh, anger in and of itself isn't, isn't necessarily bad. Paul wrote to the, the Ephesians and said, um, don't let the sun go down, down on your anger. When you get angry, don't sin. But understand that your anger creates a foothold for the devil to get into our lives and, and to grab hold of us. The question I think for us is why do we get angry? What makes us angry? How does it express itself? Jesus goes on and says, if you call somebody an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. If you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. When you call someone an idiot, when you curse someone, understand that you're spitting on God's creation because you're saying about that person that's creating that irritation in your life, you're worthless. You don't have any value. And they were made in the image of God. They have the fingerprint of God. So I would, I would just say to you, why did Jesus, why is anger such a big deal with Jesus? It's because we all matter to God. And we don't have to, we don't have to own um, the, the judgment. God's going to take care of that. Those people may be evil. They may be stupid. They may be ignorant. They may even be malicious, but it's not our role to be judge, jury, executioner for them. That's God's role. He created them. He will deal with them. That's not a burden that you have to carry. So let the anger go. What's, what's the condition of your heart when you get angry? Um, most of our anger isn't focused on injustice or fairness. Most of our anger comes from selfishness or inconvenience, right? We get angry when we drive. Why? Because they're stupid. Those drivers are stupid. No, we get angry with them because they're, they inconvenience us, right? We can't go as fast as we want. We can't go in the lane that we want. We don't know what they're gonna do, and so it, it causes us to drive a, a little more cautiously, defensively. We can't get where we want as quickly as we can. It's about our inconvenience that we get angry. Um, when, when someone comes to pick us up late, and when someone comes to pick us up and they're late, it's inconvenient for us, and we get angry. Um, 
as I was thinking about this concept of the stuff that makes us angry, I thought, why is it that there are some people in our life that can do a particular action? And man, we're filled with compassion and grace for them. And someone else can do the exact same behavior and it causes anger in us. It's because of the condition of our heart, right? It's because of how we perceive them. It's not about the action. It's about our heart. The condition of our heart, Jesus says, is as serious as if we take someone else's life. Jesus, Jesus leans in. He keeps um, pressing the issue about how important our heart and our relationships are. Look at verse 23. If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. That's crazy talk, right? Somebody say, what? Thank you. Whoever that was in back, that was great. Um, and, and somebody else say, that's what he said, right? What's, what's so crazy? Because we think, you know what? If I hurt someone, if I did someone wrong, I need to go and make that right. But if I was completely innocent and they perceived that I did something wrong, and, and I really didn't, but they have something against me, Jesus says, go stop your worship and make it right with them. Do that now. Do it immediately. Why? Because our relationship with, the, with each other is so important. It's, it's a righteousness that's greater than that of the Pharisees. It's not just about whether you're legally right. It's whether or not your relationship is right with the other people. There was a guy I worked with early in my adult life when Deb and I were first married, a guy named Merlin Williamson. I was uh, working in the marketplace selling wood-burning stoves. Um, it was a great time. Merlin Williamson was, the, was this guy's name, and he was, he was just a good man. If I could draw a picture of him, it would be somewhere uh, across between John Candy and Barney Rubble, all right? Uh, he's, he's just a, he's a warm, cuddly kind of guy. He, he didn't have a lot of resources, financial resources, but he was as good as gold. He, he loved his family. He was, a, he was a, a good father, a good grandfather, loved his kids. He loved the church, and he loved Jesus immensely. When Merlin got sick at the end of his life and, and had cancer, um, when he knew that he was going to die, he began this process of thinking back through every relationship he'd had in his life and tried to reach out to people where that relationship may have been broken. Because he, when he went to see Jesus, he, wanted, he didn't want there to be any garbage, any, any collateral stuff that was left there. The day before he died, I, I, his son told me, the day before he died, he's in the hospital bed struggling. And he says to his son, can you think of anyone who has something against me that I don't know about? Because I want to call him and make it right before I go see Jesus. That's, that's the picture of what Jesus is talking about here. That's the crazy talk. That we're so consumed with having healthy relationships that if somebody has a problem with us, that takes priority over what we do here together as a body. It takes priority over making sure that, that our electronic giving or uh, when we give our gift, uh, our offering, that that's right. Relationships are, are critical. They matter. Um, the offering's important, but the relationship is the thing that's most important. The Apostle John said, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister 
is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they've seen cannot love God who they haven't seen. Jesus says, fix those relationships. Do it now. And then he just keeps leaning into this idea. Verse 25, when you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. If that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. In the first century, the, the deal was this. If you owed someone money and you didn't pay them back when you were supposed to, they could have you thrown into prison and you would stay there until, until your debt was paid. Your family might try and pay the debt. Your friends might try and um, you know, uh, gather the money um, and pay the debt. But until that debt was paid, you would sit in prison. How easy is it to pay your debt when you're in prison and not working? It's pretty tough, right? That's the picture that Jesus says, that Jesus describes. When you're going to court and there's gonna be a judgment about this debt that you have, you make things right now. It may not be exactly what you want, but you need to, you need to fix that relationship. You need to not let it go to the judge to make a decision about it because you don't know how the judge is gonna rule. In 2002, the, the chief executive officer of Ernst & Young, uh, one of the big five fi um, financial accounting firms, um, was going through a divorce. It was a messy divorce with his wife. Um, he had just been named CEO, um, and, and uh, his wife had spent uh, all of their marriage raising their four kids, um, managing the house. Um, the, the, the CEO offered her a million dollars for their divorce settlement. Most of us say, nah, that's crazy. That's a lot of money, right? Um, and she would have taken it had she not found some files and looked at some tax returns that, that um, led her to believe that they had a lot more assets than, um, than she knew about. Um, as she spoke with her, with her husband as they're going through a divorce, she said a million dollars is not enough. And, and it got very contentious to the point that, that he would not settle with her and it went to court. Um, ultimately, when it went to court, the, the ruling of the judge um, sided with the wife and she got 60% of their current assets at that point in time, which was a little over $13 million. 60%. Um, that's not even kind of the worst of it in terms of the result of this going to court. The CEO had only been in the position about a year. He would have probably held that position for 10, 12, 15 years, whatever it was. His annual salary was $3.2 million. His decision to not settle things with his wife probably cost him about $50 million. Jesus says, look, when you're going to court, it's important for that relationship to be fixed, to do everything that you can to do that because you don't know what the judge is gonna rule. Everyone loves justice, right? Unless that justice is not in their favor. Unless that justice comes down against them. It's so, so critical um, for us to try and make things right. Um, was Jesus saying you should never sue? And no, he, he wasn't saying that. He, what he was saying is, you've got to fix the relationship, do everything that you can, because if it goes to a higher authority, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how that's going to play out. 
Let me just say this kind of while we're here because we don't talk about this very much. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're serious about that, 1 Corinthians 6 talks about Christians suing each other and, and, and Paul says, don't do it. It doesn't make any sense. It, it communicates the, the wrong thing to the world. When they, when they look and say, what, they're a follower of Jesus and they can't work this out together? Um, powerful stuff that's there. Jesus says, it's not about the courtroom. It's about your heart. Jesus cares about our heart. He, again, he's talking about a righteousness that's greater than that of the Pharisees. Can you imagine what the people on the hillside were thinking at this point in time? They're, 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 I think they wanted to say, Jesus, stop. Just stop talking and let me process what you're saying for a little bit of time. The reason I think that they said that is because in working through the message at this point, I thought there's just too much here to, 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 to make sense of. Someone nod your head and say, man, I'm, I'm with you. It's powerful stuff that's there. But Jesus just keeps on going. He keeps plowing ahead about what it looks like to have a righteousness that's greater than that of the Pharisees. Verse 27, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And all the men said, what? And all the women said, that's what he said, right? That's what he said. Again, the people that Jesus was talking to knew the law. The seventh of the 10 commandments says, don't commit adultery. Don't betray the vows that you've made with your husband or wife. The 10th of the 10 commandments said, don't covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's husband. Jesus says, don't just stay faithful on the outside, but stay faithful in your mind and in your heart. If you're fantasizing about intimacy with somebody that you're not married to, it's the same thing as if you're physically experiencing that intimacy. It has the same destructive impact on your soul. There's some words in the Bible that, that, that we need to understand that are used to describe sexual sin. There's longer lists other places. I wanna I want just really focus on three words that I think are relevant to, to this conversation that Jesus is talking about. The first word is fornication. That's a word that we don't use very often, but what it means is sexual intimacy with two people who are not married. The Bible says that that's sin. Even if they love each other, even if they're in a committed relationship with each other, even if they're living together, it's sin. If you're serious about following Jesus, about him having complete control of your life, you've gotta do one of two things if you're in a relationship that's a fornication relationship. You either need to get married as quickly as possible or you need to stop the relationship, the physical part of that relationship. That's clear from scripture. Second, second word that's there is adultery. Adultery is a married person experiencing sexual intimacy with someone who is not their marriage partner, their husband or their wife. If you're serious about following Jesus and you're involved in an adulterous relationship, you need to stop it now immediately because it's gonna break your relationship. It is breaking your relationship with Jesus, with God right now. The third word is the word lust, and it's a, a word that describes strong sexual desire. 
Jesus says, when you have that strong sexual desire for anyone except the person to which you're married, it's sin. It has the same kind of devastating impact on your soul and on your relationship. Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust, you've already, it's like you've already committed adultery. Uh, let, me, let me be clear about this. There's a difference between a look and a stare, right? A passing glance and something that you feed into. There's a difference between, hello, it's nice to meet you, and hello, it's nice to meet you, right? It's, there's a difference. Um, this teaching is not just limited to men. Men and women, when you look at someone that you're not married to, and in your mind or out loud, you say, hello, it's nice to meet you. You're betraying your wedding vows. You're ripping at something that God created to be sacred. When you begin to imagine and fantasize about what it would be like to be with that person, Jesus says it has the same impact on your heart as if you are physically in, involved in that relationship. The issue is not the look. It's not the passing interaction. It's whether or not you feed the desire or starve it. When you see something sexual, do you entertain that thought? Do you go down that road? Do you develop it more? Do you settle there and put down roots? Or do you see it, turn away, and move your thoughts to a different destination? Because what you feed will grow. You wanna conquer sexual temptation? Stop feeding the dragon. Stop watching those movies. Stop going to those websites. Stop, um, stop watching those channels. Stop going to places that you know the dragon lives. Stop believing that that imaginary relationship will bring any kind of lasting fulfillment and intimacy to your life. Jesus says, flee, don't flirt. Don't play around with it. Flee, don't flirt. Uh, just so you know, just so you know, God hardwired men to be stimulated visually, right? So visual images, whether real women or commercials or movies or print or whatever, grabs our attention. Guys, so that you know, you have to control what comes into the focus of your attention as much as you can. Don't feed the dragon. Don't go where the dragon lives. Jesus said it this way. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Was Jesus in favor of self-mutilation? Did he want his church to have people with eye patches and stubs on their hands and feet? No, no. But Jesus was consumed with the condition of our hearts. He said, you've got to take radical action. Um, both men and women have a sobering responsibility for their own sexual holiness. We can either make it easier or more difficult for each other to live that out, to live out that responsibility, to be holy. 
Jesus said, it's not about the physical act of adultery. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. Verse 31, you've heard, you've heard the law says, a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. It's important to understand historical context here. Let me just say this. Whenever, whenever you start to look at what the Bible says about divorce, everybody gets nervous, right? Because everyone has been touched by divorce. It, the scars, the pain of divorce, all of us understand that. Let me just set the stage to, to help give some clarity. Because of, the, because of the promiscuous nature of the Roman culture and how it had bled into the Jewish culture, Jewish husbands could divorce their wives for virtually any reason that they wanted. If their wives burnt their dinner, they could ask for divorce. If they didn't clean the house the way they thought it should be cleaned, they could ask for a divorce. If they got tired of their wives, they could ask for a divorce. They could divorce their wife according to the law, but they had to do it correctly according to the Talmud, the law of the rabbis. So the Pharisees narrowly defined sin, but they broadly defined purity. They could still be pure even though they were, they were denying, they were trampling on top of the sacredness of marriage that God had instituted. As long as you, were, as long as you gave this, a certificate of divorce correctly, the Pharisees said, it's not sin, even though that was contrary to what God's desire was. This was another one of those what moments. Yeah, that's what he said. Because adultery in the Jewish law was punishable by death. Jesus said anybody who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, is guilty of adultery. And that gives her a death sentence. Let me, let me give you several bullet points about divorce just while we're here. I, I don't have time to really go as deep as I would love to, but let me, let me give you five or six things. The, the first is this. The, the teaching on divorce, uh, this teaching on divorce focuses on men because the cultural context at this point in time was that only men could uh, ask for a divorce. Women couldn't. It wasn't uh, an option for them in that culture. That's not the case in our culture, so this teaching applies to both men and women. Second principle is this. When divorce was permitted in the Old Testament law, while divorce was permitted in the Old Testament law, it was never God's design. The acceptance of divorce, except in the case of adultery, was only because of the hardness of people's hearts. Jesus said, is when he's talking to the Pharisees in Matthew 19, he says, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally attended, intended. Um, uh, let, me, let me just say this. Over the years, as I've talked to followers of Jesus who are in the midst of, of uh, thinking through divorce, in almost every case, there's hard hearts that have grown over years and years and years and years. Um, that's not God's design, either for the divorce to happen or for there to be hard hearts. Let me just say this to you. If, if, if you've experienced divorce in your past and, and, and just talking about this is painful, ask God to help you see whether or not that hardness is still there and to soften that in you. 
Because Jesus cares about the condition of our hearts. Um, third bullet point's this. Divorce wreaks havoc on families. Friends and anybody who's even tangentially associated with the couple when a marriage ends. Um, we know that. Can God work in spite of that? Uh, in spite of the mess that we make in our lives? Of course he can. But we, sh- but we can't intentionally pursue that mess if there are other options. Fifth, fifth bullet's this. Um, while there may be biblical grounds for divorce, there are always biblical grounds for forgiveness and hope. The God that we serve is the God who raised Jesus from the dead. He can do anything. Last bullet's this. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. If, if you've experienced divorce, if, uh, if you carry those wounds, know that that doesn't mean you get kicked out of the kingdom, kicked out of the church, any of that. We all deal with sin in our lives. It's not the unpardonable sin. Um, let, me, um, let me say it this way. It's not about whether or not you have the right to divorce. It's about our heart. I think that's what Jesus was saying. This whole passage of scripture is difficult teaching because we want, we want to have our lives aligned like that of the Pharisees, right? If we're doing the right things on the outside, everything's good. That's the righteousness of the Pharisees. But Jesus said, you've got to have a righteousness greater than that of the Pharisees. What matters is what's going on in your heart. When we live out the crazy talk of Jesus, it will change our world. We've, we've said the last two weeks, um, you know, crazy will change the world. The world will be changed by the crazy talk of Jesus. What I want to say to you this morning, in these passages in particular, when we live out what Jesus tells us, it will change our world, my world, your world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and the call that you have for us to be holy. Um, God, the call that you have for us to be pure. God, the call that you have for us to have tender hearts, um, pure hearts. God, so much of this just is in the center of where we live, whether we're talking about anger or lust or uh, our relationships, whatever it is. Lord, fill us with your presence. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Draw us to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Oh, what's made of brass and sounds like Tom Jones? Trombones. (laughs) What kind of bird is always getting hurt? What kind? The owl. How much space do fungi need to grow? As mushroom as possible. Why was the cow such a heartthrob on the farm? Why? He was a smooth talker. (laughs) What is the difference between an alligator and a crocodile? 
you'll see one later and another after a while. <laughs> I told my wife she drew. <laughs> there goes a point. I told my wife she drew her eyebrows on too high. She seemed surprised. <laughs> What do you call an airline? Dad got it. No, I got that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what do you get when you cross a joke with a rhetorical question? I don't know. <laughs> Why did the coach go to the bank? He had to get his quarterback. Nice. <laughs> What's ET short for? Extraterrestrial. Because he has little legs. Which state has the most streets? Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. Very nice. And it's true. Speaking of streets, why did the girl spread peanut butter on the street? I don't know. To go with the traffic jam. Good. Uh, did you know that the inventor of the cough drop died? Yeah, at his funeral, there was no coffin. coffin. <laughs> yes. Why did the crab never share? Because he was shellfish. Did you hear about Chris on his sabbatical? Mm. He fell into an upholstery machine. Really? Yeah, don't worry though, he's fully recovered. <laughs> <laughs>